So how do you see yourself? How you perceive yourself is really important. And what we've been seeing in this series is that your identity affects your activity. Who you are affects how you live. And we find the true answer to our identity in Christ. It's God who defines our identity. Follow along as I read tonight's text. This is Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse number 35. Very familiar passage of scripture, I think, for most of us. It says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because, you are, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who are we in Christ? What does Paul say here? Paul does not say that we're just survivors. Sometimes it feels like all we're doing is trying to survive life. Paul doesn't call us survivors. Paul says that in Christ, we are conquerors, more than conquerors. Remember, uh, for those of you who were alive before me, back in the 50s and 60s, Timex Watch. Who owned a Timex back in the day? They aired these commercials with their product going through a battery of abusive situations. Uh, The watch was dropped from buildings. How many of you remember seeing this commercial? Dropped from buildings, beaten with hammers, rolled over with cars and trucks. Uh, And to the amazement of of us all, after enduring all this abuse, the watch, although partially damaged, Kept on ticking, right? And so what was the little slogan, the phrase, Timex watch, it takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Well, I think what Paul is telling us here tonight, that in no uncertain terms, as a believer in Christ, we're a new creation, we're a child of God, we're a member of the body of Christ, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We've seen those already But what we want to see tonight is that as a member of the body of Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, as a child of God, we are not exempt from being abused and in some cases even killed. But through it all, when the final chapter is written, we will be the conqueror that made it through the hard trials and tribulations. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight I want to encourage you. That's my desire. I want to encourage you that even while it might be that you are going through some trials, you're going through some hardships, and you are right in the middle of it, I've come to let you know that through it all, through all the distress, through all the disappointments, through all the afflictions, through all the terrible times, you can make it. You can make it. Because through Christ, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus 
who loves us. And so let's break this down tonight. Number one, we see the reality of trouble. And here's the principle that we're going to see in these verses. First of all, the principle is this. God allows bad things to happen to good people. God allows bad things to happen to good people. Believers in these times, the the believers that Paul was writing to here, they were facing trials. They were facing suffering. They were persecuted and opposed because of their faith in Christ, because they were in Christ Jesus. No more severe circumstances can be imagined than the ones given here. If you look there uh, at verse number 35, look at the the circumstances that we as believers can find ourselves in. The first thing he says, talks about there is affliction. Affliction refers to direct trouble. It means, this word means to undergo struggles, to undergo trials and temptations and suffering. Literally, the word means to compress. So you get that idea of being compressed, this opposition, this this sense of being overwhelmed by trouble. The second word that he uses is distress. Uh, This word refers to a narrow, cramped place where one is in straits, or like what we might say today, in a tight spot, or we might say between a rock and a hard place. That's what the word distress is. Is talking about suffering, anguish, and trouble, and not knowing which way to go, which way to turn. He talks next about persecution. Uh, Here's a word that's used like 10 times in the New Testament. Persecute, the early church was not a stranger to persecution, and it came in all different forms abuse, being mocked, being ridiculed, being shamed, being mistreated, ignored, neglected. I mean, you name it. Christians were facing it through persecution at that time. Some were being killed in very horrendous ways. He mentions famine. We know what famine is right? It's being hungry. It's going without, not having food, perhaps starving, no way to secure food. He mentions next nakedness. Uh, That's just referring to being destitute of, of any convenience, be it decent clothing, be it any earthly comforts, not having what we would like to have for our creature comforts. He mentions danger, being exposed. That word talks about being exposed to the most severe risks, to being confronted to the most terrible dangers to one's body, mind, soul, property, family, and loved ones. He mentions sword. You know what that is, right? You can picture a sword. He's talking about being wounded, being attacked with a mortal weapon. In church, what we need to recognize is that all of these things can happen to a person who is in Christ. Any of these things can happen. You could be persecuted if you're in Christ. You can uh, someday perhaps face the sword. We're going to certainly face trouble, and we face trouble. You may be naked. You may be living in famine. We may be persecuted for our faith. All of these things could happen. And I think verse number 36 is even stronger. Here, Paul quotes from Psalm 44, and he says this. He he quotes saying, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Church, that could happen too. Is he referring to martyrdom there? 
We see the church even still today being scattered in in certain places, the church being scattered, the church going underground, the church facing severe persecution and even death. Can you just imagine for a minute a believer experiencing all of this? Just try to fathom that for a minute. A fa- try to fathom a believer experience. What, what do you think their thoughts would be? If it were you experiencing all of this at one time, what would your thoughts be? Would you feel like maybe God had forsaken you? Would you wonder whether or not God really loved you? Do you think it's possible that we could draw the conclusion God must not love me. Look what I'm going through. How many of you think that, that's a real possibility? That could be what we might conclude. Yeah. You know, not everybody today has it as cushy as we have it here in Phoenix, Arizona. I know it's going to get hot, but we still have it cushy, don't we? Not everybody around the wor- world has money to afford what we're able to afford where we are living. Not everybody around the world has a good job. Not everybody around the world who loves the Lord can get in a car and drive away. I've seen this firsthand. I'm sure many of you have too. If you've ever been to another country, a third world country, I saw it in the Dominican Republic. I saw it in Rocky Point, Mexico, when we went down to preach in a prison there, meeting believers along the way. And, and, recognizing that there were, I, I can remember talk, meeting a family with a missionary in Santo, north of Santo Domingo, up in the jungle. These people, they had a dirt floor in their house, just a single room home, and they were believers, and they all had the biggest smiles on their face. You might say that they were suffering some hardship. I don't even think they knew the hardship they were facing. I translated it that way. But how many believers today are being persecuted? It's, it's real. It happens. We're going to be talking about this. I think it's the second week of, of June. We're going to be talking about that. If you're aware of Voice of the Martyrs, they have a Martyrs Day every June. And, and so we're going to do it in June, though we're not going to do it on the date that they typically do it. Um, as I'll be away that weekend, but we're going to do it, I think the second week of June, we're going to talk about what the church is going through and pray for the, the persecuted around the world and actually see a, a little video that they've put together about it. But listen, believers in other parts of our world today are suffering persecution. They're suffering famine and hardship and even the danger of the sword. And while our experience of discomfort and pain may be different, it doesn't mean that we're exempt. I'm not meaning to lessen the discomfort and pain that we experience because it's not what others are experiencing. I believe it's just as real. It can be just as painful. And the truth is, I don't like pain. Does anybody like pain? I don't, I don't like pain. How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with, with circumstances like this? It's a real tell how we, how we deal with these things, and it really tells how we perceive God in all of these 
in, in all of these kind of situations. We're prone to run from pain and suffering rather than to embrace and endure it. But as believers in Christ, we are given this understanding that there's more to pain and suffering than pain and suffering. Two thoughts here. It's up on the screen. God does not shelter us from the difficulties of life. He does not shelter us from those difficulties. Why? Because we need them for spiritual growth. And if you go back to chapter 5, Paul talks about that, how God uses the process that God uses in verses 3 through 5. The process that God uses, he uses these things in our lives to grow fruit in our life, to grow Christ's likeness in our life. And so he permits trials to come for our good, as he says in verse number 28. He's able to bring all uh, good through all of those things that we face, and he's able to get glory through all of those things. And so, yeah, God allows bad things to happen to good people. Church, listen, you need to know that when you're not facing bad times. You need to decide long before some severe trial hits. You need to decide long before that what you believe about that and the, the reality of that. Why? Because if you don't, you'll probably go down the wrong path and you'll Meaning, you'll probably start thinking, well, does God love me? How could this happen? What's wrong with God? I thought that he just wanted me to be happy, right? We have to, under, we have to frame it. We have to see it. We see it throughout the scripture that, yes, trouble is a real thing, and we in Christ can experience it. Secondly, he then talks about the certainty of triumph. Here's the principle. No matter what life throws your way in Christ, you are a conqueror. We are going to face trouble. We are going to face trials. Yes, we are weak, but we're not helpless. What does Paul write here in verse 37? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So number one, we are conquerors. That means that we can face anything that the world throws our way. We can, we can face any trouble, any affliction, any persecution that comes our way through Christ. We can face that. Had a bad week? You're a conqueror. Getting ready to face a bad week? You're a conqueror. Facing hard times? You're a conqueror through Jesus Christ. No matter what may be thrown at you, you are a conqueror if you are joined by faith to Jesus Christ. No matter what people try to do to you or what life brings upon us, we have enough power in Christ to overcome these difficulties. You're a conqueror. Number two, you are more than conquerors. It's interesting, the word that Paul uses here. In English, it's five words. We are more than conquerors. In Greek, it's only one. It's one compound word. The word conqueror there in English is translated from the second half of the compound word. It's nikos, and it simply describes an overcomer, a conqueror, a champion, a victor, a master. Right? So, so picture, you know, the, the Michael Jordan. Picture a, a, a champion in whatever sport, right? That's what Nikos describes, a victor, a champion. But that wasn't a strong enough word for Paul. 
Paul could have used that word, and he would have said that, that through Christ we are a champion. Wasn't strong enough. He added a prefix, which is the, the Greek word hooper, which means over, above, and beyond, and it depicts something that is way beyond measure. It carries the idea of superiority, something that is utmost, paramount, foremost, first rate, first class, top notch, greater, higher, better than, superior to, preeminent, dominant, and incomparable. More than a match for, unsurpassed, unequal, and unrivaled by any person or thing. He's using that word. When you put those two words together, you get hoopernikos, which simply is this power-packed word that could be interpreted that in Christ we are this phenomenal, whopping, conquering force. We are superior conquerors, better conquerors. We are super conquers but how how is it possible to be more than a conqueror i mean we get the idea of what it means to be a conqueror a champion but more than a champion i mean the champion's the champion what is paul talking how is it possible here's what i want you to consider the only things that this trouble that we're gonna face can take from us are the things that ultimately don't matter. They don't matter. The things that really matter, trouble can't touch. Your life with Jesus, trouble can't touch that. The forgiveness of your sins, trouble can't touch that. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, trouble can't touch that. The devil himself can't touch that. This is how Paul says we are more than conquerors. So we are conquerors, we are more than conquerors, and then we are more than conquerors through Christ. It's only possible through Jesus Christ who loves us. The cross is our only hope. Paul's saying that Jesus takes the sting out of our suffering, that he gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to overcome, and that as long as we are linked to Jesus Christ, we too can overcome. I think the most amazing thing about this phrase, there in verse 36, as sheep to be slaughtered, when you think of sheep, what do you think of? Don't you think of some poor weak animal? When you think of a lion, what do you think of? Right? You think of the king of the, the jungle, right? The king of the, the beast. And yet, what is Paul saying? That as lambs, we conquer. As sheep led to the slaughter in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And that brings us to my third point, and that is the security of the truth, because what I see in this passage is this truth, and here's the principle. Our security in Christ is an established fact. Yeah, we're going to have trouble, but we are guaranteed victory, and these truths that, that Paul lays out in this passage help us to recognize the security that we have 
in Jesus Christ and this, this confidence that we can have that we are more than conquerors. So let me give you seven facts, and we'll go through them quickly. Number one, here's the first fact. God is for us. Look at verse 31. What then can we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? When Paul says here, if God is for us, he's not saying maybe he is or maybe he isn't. It can be translated since God is for us or because God is for us. And I don't think there's any more fundamental truth in all of the word of God than this, that God is for us, that God is not against us, that God is not even neutral towards us. And oftentimes when we face trouble, the first thought in our mind can somehow be that God must somehow be against me. What we have to recognize is that God is not against us. That the, that the creator and the, the ruler of the universe, that he is for us, that nothing can prevail against us. Look, I know that history is ambiguous about this. The, re, the reality of suffering indicates this. But the outcome is not because God is for us. And so all that God is, all that God has, all that God does, he does on the behalf of those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then everything that God does, everything that God has, he does on our behalf, the behalf of his people. And so even in those times when God seems to be acting against us, if we could only look behind the veil during those times, we would understand that, yes, God is for us. Name the enemies of the people of God. Can the devil stand against us? No. He's been defeated. Can the world stand against us, church? No. John 16, he overcame the world. Can the flesh destroy us? No, because in Christ Jesus, we overcome the pull of the flesh. And so church, as God's people, we should be bold. We should be bold. We should recognize who we are in Christ and that God is for us. Who dares to stand against us if God is for us? Fact number two, God gave his best for us. Look at verse 32. He says, that God did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. Just think about that, church. God gave his very own son. God offered up his very own son for us. He gave his very best. God gave his very best for us. What is he going to withhold from us that is for our good? You see where Paul's going with this? God gave his best. And so God is able to use everything we face in life for the good of those who love him. And this is a, right, the, the famous verse in the Bible, back to verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Those who are in Christ. God is able to bring all the trouble, all the distress, whatever the persecution is, God is able to use all of that for good. 
Yeah, bad things happen to good people, but God uses those bad things for an ultimate, lasting good. One day we're going to see the value in that. If you go back to verse number 18, Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Church, one day we are going to see the real value of everything that we face, how God has used it for good in our lives. And so, yeah, bad things may happen to good people in this world, but listen, this world is not the end. This isn't the end. This isn't the final chapter. Even when you take your last breath, that's not the final chapter. That's just the, be, the beginning of the eternal chapter. And that's how we have to view it as believers. So God is for us. God gave his best for us. Fact number three, God will not hold back on us. Look at verse 32. How will he not also with him grant us everything? This is a question of provision. God, will God hold back on us? Well, he's given his best for us. What Paul is saying is that if God has already given his best, if he's already done that for us, will he hold back anything else that we truly need? And the answer is no, right? A God who sacrificed his own son on our behalf certainly is not going to hold that which by comparison is merely trivial. If he's given his son, he'll hold nothing back. It's kind of like going into a jewelry store and buying a beautiful an expensive diamond ring. You ever done this, guys, for your bride? Can you imagine going in there and putting all the money, buying it cash, putting all the money down there, and you're about to take your ring, and you say to the jeweler, oh, you know, by the way, do you mind if I take the box? I'd like to, you know, do one of those fancy proposals, you know, on one knee and pop open the box. Can you mind if I take the box? And the guy's like, yeah, no, sorry. Box doesn't come with the ring. Well, of course the box comes with the ring. You buy the ring, the box comes with it. Or suppose you uh, enter this contest to win this, you know, this whatever your dream car is. It's over $100,000, right? You enter the drawing, you win, and so you drive down to the dealership and you're like, hey, man, I won, I want my car. The guy says, here's your car. And so you sit in that thing, and you smell the leather, and you're like, "Woohoo! I have made it. And so you're wanting to take it home, and you're like, hey, I need the keys. They're like, yeah, sorry. Keys don't come with it. No keys. Sorry. You get the car, though. The car is yours. No. If you win the car, you get the keys. It's the very same way. God has given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has not and he will not hold back from us heaven's best for our lives. Will he hold back food? No, he won't, though at times we may go hungry. Will he hold back from us water? Will he hold back from us a job? Will he hold back from us answers to our prayers? Well, when, as we pray, as we seek him, as we, whatever we need, 
God always knows what is best and he always provides exactly according to what he sees fit, what exactly we need. And so if God has given us his best, he's not gonna hold back the rest. Fact number four, God accepts us on his son's behalf. Look at verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If you want to accuse someone before God, can anyone bring an accusation? You're a believer. Can anyone bring an accusation of you before God and make it stick? Well, Satan tries to do that, doesn't he? Right? He comes into the courts of heaven, says, get rid of this guy. Have you seen what this guy's doing? Get rid of him. He's a lousy Christian. Did you hear what he said? Did you, did you see what they did last night? Well, who else is there that can bring a charge that can stick in the ears of Almighty God? Well, what Paul is saying here is the answer is no one, not even Satan. Why? Because it's God who justifies can the law bring a charge? No, because the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The devil can't. He was defeated by Jesus. What about our own conscience? Can our own conscience rise up against us before God? Well, our consciences have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. And what Paul is getting at here is that no one, not an angel, not a demon, not anyone in heaven, on earth or under earth, is able to bring a charge against us. No one can say, oh God, you have chosen this person, but they've disgraced you. And so you ought to get rid of them. It's God who justifies us. And that means that as the judge of the universe, he is on our side. The judge of the universe accepts us on his son's behalf. His son paid our debt. And because our debt has been paid in full, no one can bring a charge against us before God. God will not listen to that charge for the sake of his son. It's God who justifies us, and we stay justified. And so when trouble comes our way or persecution or some affliction, we don't have to wonder if God is somehow turned against us or because of something we, done, we have done that God is somehow against us. We know that God has justified us on behalf of his son, and so in Christ, we will remain in Christ. Our salvation and our relationship with him is secure. Fact number five, God bore our pain and penalty. Verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. The truth is bad things happen to good people and the worst thing happened to the best person, Jesus. The only truly righteous one suffered more than we can imagine. He came into this world, he came into our pain, he came into our suffering, he took our place to pay our penalty and so he understands firsthand what pain and suffering is. And he took that upon himself, bearing our pain, bearing our penalty. When you're going through affliction, remember that. That God understands what it means to be afflicted. And afflicted unjustly. 
Fact number six, as Paul continues, fact number six is God overcame our worst enemy. He says in verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised and he's at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. This is kind of a, a short course in Christology, right? He's, he's laying it out there. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended, and Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. He's given us the full realm of the ministry of Christ. And so when we sin and when we are condemned and when our friends turn against us and when we fail to meet up to our own standards, Jesus says, Father, I plead my blood and Jesus' blood is more than enough. So who can condemn us before the throne of God? Nobody can because Jesus lives in heaven at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us. Amen? So there Jesus is, and not only is the judge of the universe on our side, we have this advocate, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father. And it is through him that we are more than conquerors. And that leads me to fact number seven. And Paul lays this out in verses 38 and 39, and it's just simply that God is never going to stop loving us. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death or life, angels, rulers, nor uh, things present or things to come or powers, right? He's just basically laying it out there. Things present, things to come, height, depth, any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. What's that mean? It means that God's love for us is not fickle. It's not fickle. Those he loves, he loves forever. Sometimes we get worried whether or not our faith is strong enough to get us to heaven. You ever feel that way? You know, I'm, I'm hanging on to Jesus. Is it us hanging on to Jesus? I picture a little kid. Remember when your kids were small and you're walking through a parking lot or into a store and they'd grab onto your finger? Remember that? Nothing like having that little hand, you know, little hand around your finger and you're just kind of guiding them through the store, you know. When it's, when it's little kid holding on to daddy with one finger, man, it doesn't take a whole lot for that little child to trip and fall, let go, right? So what would you do as a daddy? Would you walk through a busy, would you walk across a busy street with little Johnny hanging on to one finger? No, what would you do, dads? Grab their hand, right? It's not you holding on to me, it's me holding on to you, son, right? Why? Because you holding on to them means they can make it across that street. If you have to, you can pick that whole kid up by their hand, right? Probably don't want to do it with them holding on to your finger. They might pull it out of soccer. But, but you, can, you could pick them up if you had to. You could pull them out of a way, right? You had them secure in your hand. And, and this is how it works, man. It's not us holding on to Jesus. It's the fact that God is holding on to us. And that absolutely nothing can separate that love from us. And so, church, let's learn this great lesson that Jesus still loves us even though we might be going through a hard time. Jesus still loves you if you're out of money. 
Jesus still loves you if you're wasting away on the outside. He loves you if you're being persecuted for your faith. He still loves you if your marriage is falling apart. He still loves you though the world may be against you. And he'll still love you even when you feel like you're a lamb being led to the slaughter. Here's a thought that I hope can cheer you up. Trouble can take a lot of things away from us as God's people. It can take away our happiness. It can take our prosperity away. It can take our health away. Trouble can take our friends away. But there's one thing that trouble can never take away from us. Trouble can never take away from us the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's absolutely no event that can cause Christ to turn away from us. So church, listen. Circumstances are not evidence that God does not love you. Do not look at your circumstance and try to judge whether or not God loves you. He loves you no matter what the circumstances are. And there's absolutely nothing, no matter how dark or depressing, no matter how severe, that can separate us who are in Christ from his love. I like that this is not a promise with conditions attached. You know, there are promises like that in the Bible, aren't there? If you do this, God says, I'll do this. There's the, it, as far as I can tell, there aren't any conditions here. We can claim this. Why? Because of who we are. Because we are in Christ. We can claim this. We can claim that God is for us. We can claim that God gave his best for us. We can claim that God will not hold back on us. We can claim that God accepts us on his son's behalf, that he bore our pain and our penalty, that he overcame the worst enemy, and that he's never going to stop loving us. We can claim that as his people and rejoice in that. Rejoice in it. And so we're super conquerors through Christ who loves us. So, the, wor- the week hasn't even started yet. Hasn't even started yet. But if you're in Jesus, you're already more than a super conqueror. Here's our next steps and we're done. Number one, I will recognize that in Christ, God is the source of all power in my life and I'll rely on him fully. Is that you tonight? Is that the next step that you need to take? I'm going to recognize that in Christ, God is the source of all power in my life, and I'm going to rely on him fully. What do you need to rely on him for? What, what is the burden? What is the hardship? What is the, what is the trouble that you're facing that you need to cast that burden on him tonight as, as a believer in Christ? And recognize that your power is in him, that it's through Christ. It's in him and rely on him. The second next step is this you. I will begin each new day realizing that God is for me. 
that there's no need to fear. For my loving Father desires only the best for his children, even though I must go through trials to receive his best. Would we recognize that? That our loving Heavenly Father wants only the best, even if that means that we're going to experience some trouble. I'll tell you what to say. You can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I, I love you with all of my heart. I thank you, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've made it possible, that you've given to me in a world full of difficulty and persecution persecution and opposition and trouble of every kind. But no matter what happens to me, Lord Jesus, I am more than a conqueror. Can I encourage you for the next seven days before we meet again to start your day that way? We can get up and we can start with such negative thoughts in our head. (laughs) We can can lose before our feet hit the ground. And I want to encourage you to remember who you are in Jesus Christ. To recognize that and to begin each day realizing that God is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you will drive this truth home to us. I pray that we might leave here tonight undefeated because Satan can't defeat us. He's already been defeated. So may we leave here tonight victorious because through Jesus you have made us. We shall be more than conquerors. And so may we go out and live in the victory that you have won for us. Thank you for your faithful love and kindness. We pray in Jesus' name.